the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Earlier in the week, saw a, a fascinating interview with, with one of my girls at the Today Show, right? Hoda, Hoda you love her. I'm a, I'm a Today. You're a Good Morning America yep. person. I tend to be a Today Show yep. with uh, uh, Hoda and uh, Savannah Guthrie. So Al Roker, a little bit of Al Roker going on. So I like that. Uh, she, Hoda Copy interviewed Will Smith. So uh, Will Smith's. He's been in our lives for a long time, hasn't he? Yeah, he? From I've the heard Fresh of him. Prince of Bel Air, and then he became an action movie yes. uh, hero. Uh, and so we know a lot of Will Smith. He has a new book out, and he was talking about how he views himself. Interesting. So I want you to hear it, both what kind of uh, has formed him and just maybe how he is actual, what's going on in his soul is different from his persona. What you have come to understand as Will Smith the alien annihilating MC, the bigger than life movie star is largely a construction, a carefully crafted and honed character designed to protect myself, to hide myself from the world, to hide the coward, the coward. Yeah. I would have never picked that word with you. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, in that, in that same chapter, uh, I talk about the idea, uh, my father was abusive, with my mother and um, I was probably nine and I watched my father beat up my mother and I was too scared to do anything. Mm. And just on my young mind, it became imprinted. You know, it's like what kind of kid stands there and let somebody hit their mother and they don't do anything, mm. you know? And, you know, that became, um, really the, the, the core trauma of my childhood that my personality and my persona became to form around mm. to be the opposite of that. Yeah. You know, that what I was never going to be scared again. <sighs> um, and, you know, what was really difficult for me um, was my father's my hero. <laughs> my father's the greatest person I've ever known. In spite right. of the fact that, and, you know, he and that 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 dichotomy breaks a young mind, huh. you know, it's like, how do you love somebody who did that? Yeah. You know, and, you know, that really just became the 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 central core of the, the wound that I was overcoming throughout my childhood and then ultimately throughout my life. Will Smith is fantastic. Will Smith is happy all the time. Will Smith doesn't have any trauma in his past. Will Smith can endure anything. Mm -hmm. He can beat up aliens and save the world. <laughs> you know, and it was like, I just got to the point in my life where I was like, Will Smith is great, but I'm ready to be me. All right. I find that fascinating to hear because, again, it shouldn't fascinate us, but somebody like Will Smith, who is you know, a hero. He's a multimillionaire. He's, oh, super famous. He, Independence Day, Men in Black, plus he, music he makes. Yeah, he exudes confidence, too, right? Mm, you watch that's him. That's true, swagger. He exudes confidence. And so he says, I've basically crafted all of this to protect myself, to hide myself from the world, to hide the coward. Mm. He calls himself a coward. And then we wanted to play more of that just where he talks about, I wanted to make sure people heard where he talks about how a lot of this comes from uh, watch being a kid and watching his dad uh, abuse his mom and how that made him feel and said, I'm never going to be like this. I mean, I, I just first of all, to hear somebody who is so successful, who is so recognizable to say, I'm a coward and I'm trying to do everything you see me doing is so you don't see that. So like fascinating. almost make up for that almost. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty heartbreaking too. the fact that, I mean, there's layers of it, of course, and I think he, he goes into this, but 
the the fact that he's putting so much pressure on the little child version of him to yeah. rescue his mom, that feels really sad to me. Like, I don't think that's fair that he should be the one to have to do that. But I, there is something really, really profound and true that our childhood trauma shapes us today. The body remembers the score, right? The mm. mind remembers the score. The heart remembers the score. So even if we think we're healed and sort of over it, we've moved on, we do tend to circle back to that same trauma and really live our lives almost overcompensating for it. I think that's the valuable point here is that what happens in our childhood uh, can really affect who we are or does really affect who we are as adults. Aubrey, what about the person out there who's listening kind of a deep way to start our show today. And they're going, I totally get what Will Smith is saying. Like it is um, things that happened in my Mm -hmm. childhood are Mm -hmm. are having profound effects, even though nobody can see it. Mm -hmm. I don't let that on. How does somebody actually start to deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually one really, really important that you do deal with it because at the end of the day, it will come out. It will come out in your relationships. It'll come out in your Mm -hmm. workplace. It'll come out in your family. It will come out. And so I would say a few things, um, and these are not necessarily in order. It's just what's coming to mind. A therapist that you trust is really, 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 really helpful when it Mm -hmm. comes to um, family of origin trauma. Mm -hmm. And I would say in a lot of cases, therapy is the only way that you will find help in healing. Now, I don't mean therapy apart from Jesus. I think Jesus uses therapy to bring healing into our lives. There's a lot of Christians out there who are like, I would never go to therapy But I actually think the Lord, just like the Lord uses doctors and the Lord uses, um, you know, other people in the world to help us. Therapists are one of those incredible, incredible resources Mm -hmm. for us when we've walked through childhood pain because we can safely go back, find the root of that pain and find out how we're continuing to live in those unhealthy habits. And then I would say also simultaneously and, uh, you know, above all, Go to the Lord like, Mm. God, where were you in my childhood when that was happening? What were you doing? What what do you have to say to me? I think the Lord actually wants to do some really powerful healing work in our childhood if we let him. Mm. That often involves praying with someone else. That also involves a lot of time and reflection. It is one of the hardest things you can do. It's so deeply uncomfortable. I'm telling you the healing and the um the deep roots that are there that the Lord wants to root out to bring instead flourishing, like mm-hmm. he'll do a mighty work, but you have to be willing to go there. It's a good word. And I think it is also a reminder that we come in contact with people on a daily basis that we don't know what's going on in mm, their soul. That's good, Brian. Like, uh, they might be putting up a persona, a mask. They might be, and all of a sudden they lash out or something like, where did that come from? Yeah. And uh, we need to be reminded of that. Uh, that that people are complex. And Aubrey, we don't really have time necessarily for this, but the idea that he his dad is his hero, but yet he watched his dad beat his mom, <sighs> that's almost too much to handle. Like yeah. There's a complexity to relationship absolutely there that's really hard to wrestle with. Yeah, absolutely there is. And I'm guessing a lot of people can relate to that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, coming up next, we're glad that you're with us today. Josh Larson, editor and film critic at Think Christian. He's going to join us. We're going to talk about movies. We're going to talk about some things that he's written. We just love having Josh on to talk pop culture. We're going to do that next with Josh here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, uh, we got friends of the show, and then we got friends of the show. Right, right. We are excited to be joined by Josh Larson, editor and film critic at Think Christian. Josh, it's great to have you back on, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, maybe, I guess, third appearance. Is that where you I get to that so. level? I think I'm at that. I think so. And the rest, you know, you just start getting all the merchandise from all of it. <laughs> all of it. So, uh, hey, Josh, for other people who maybe haven't heard you before, why don't you just reintroduce yourself so people can be reminded of who you are? Sure. Yeah, I'm the editor at thinkchristian.net. We're a faith and pop culture website where we put out a couple articles a week. We also have a podcast, Think Christian, you can listen to. Um, we do more stuff on YouTube as well. So that's the day job. And then I'm also a co-host for a more mainstream film podcast, Film Spotting, that uh, airs here in Chicago on the radio as well. Mm. Very cool. And Josh, I love having you on personally because uh, Brian doesn't like to chat Marvel movies with me. <laughs> so I'm like, finally yes, a friend's here. <laughs> Someone I can connect to. No, um, we saw Eternals a couple weekends ago, took our three sons to see it. They were very excited about it. It asked so many 
interesting questions of anthropology and cosmology and was really different. I have some mixed feelings about it, but I would just love to know what did you think about Eternals and and how do we think Christian about Eternals? Yeah, it's probably not the one uh, to drag Brian to because (laughs) definitely not. (laughs) These are kind of minor comic book characters. But as you said, Aubrey, really interesting cosmological questions because these characters have been, they were sent to Earth in this mythology um, at the dawn of time to kind of preside over um, humankind's development and to assist humans in that in different ways, but not able to intervene. So already you can sense there are some godlike questions there, right, that people might be asking. And I think that was one of the more interesting elements of Eternals. I don't know if the movie entirely worked. It sounds like I, it sounds like you might be mixed, like I am. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's kind of wanted to be a Marvel movie with a lot of the action and also be this more thoughtful yeah. um, film considering spiritual questions. And I don't think it was entirely successful handling both things. Uh, trying to split that difference. Was that your feeling? A hundred percent. And actually, I love having language for that because it it did feel unsteady or like it didn't quite know what it was trying to pull off. And my son and I both said it would have made a great Disney Plus show because I think that would have given us time to get to know the characters a little bit more and care about their fates a little bit more than we did by the time we were expected to in a film. But hopefully as it grows... As an IP, you know, we'll, we'll see if we care about it a little bit more. But definitely, it, it had potential, just didn't quite nail it. That's a good point about it being a series, because there are 10 main characters, essentially. Yes. The team of Eternals are 10. And even at a movie that's almost three hours long, that's not enough time to get to know each of them. Yep. Um, now, for people, real quickly, I'll point out who liked it a bit more. We did have a positive take on it at thinkchristian.net by Joe George, and he wrote about it from the angle of embracing our vocation Mm. as Christians, being stewards of the earth, and how these Eternals characters mirror that. So he was a little higher on it than you and I were, if people are interested in reading that. And Josh, I will let you know, I have seen all the Marvel movies, (laughs) not up up through Eternals or whatever, and I guess, uh, but Aubrey has a little bit more of obsession with them than I do. Uh, why the love for Marvel, do you think? Uh, especially, what, what is it about that genre of movie that so many people just love and gravitate to? And do you think there's always a biblical theme, a Christian theme through movies like this? Yeah, I think we can find something in most of them. It's interesting, you know, there wasn't a lot of spirituality at play in Marvel until Doctor Strange, really, which was the first one that kind of acknowledged a spiritual dimension. Otherwise, it was always either superpowers from some sort of freak accident or aliens from another planet coming. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's there in more of their installments than others, but this is really common mythology is, is, is when you think about it. We have ancient myths that told stories about similar beings, and now today we think of that in terms of superheroes, and both are trying to consider um, our place as humans in a world that we have a deep sense. Everyone does. I think that there's something more beyond mm-hmm. us. And mm-hmm. here's one way to try to wrap our minds around that and envision that. So it's it's fertile ground. Um, and right now, Marvel uh, kind of has the claim on the public imagination in exploring that. Mm, that's so true and so interesting. Okay, we're going to, I would stay here forever, Josh, but for the sake of our listeners <laughs> and for Brian, we'll move on to some other movies <laughs> okay, that are out. Good. The other movie that my son and I spent almost an entire day he had off school watching was Dune. Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dune I liked a bit more, um, and we explored it from the angle over at Think Christian. We did a podcast on it, actually, under this theme of white saviors, Mm. because for those who aren't familiar with the story of Dune, the central character is Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet, and he comes from this family that has been given governorship of the title planet. Um, The purpose there is to mine this spice that everyone in the galaxy values, so he comes there kind of as an oppressor, because there are indigenous people on the planet, and uh, as the movie goes on, he starts to understand where the indigenous people are coming from, kind of falls in with them, and the movie, it's only a part one. They're going to make part two, um, but we only get part one, and at the end of it, this isn't giving everything away, but we get this sense that he is somehow possibly going to be the leader of these people. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting for us to think about as sort of a white savior narrative, and just interrogate that trope in general a little bit. Why do we 
Why does it even exist? Mm-hmm. What does it say about the way we think of Jesus often in the West as being white first, mm-hmm. despite the you know the historical inaccuracy of that? Um, and why does pop culture seem to return to this trope? It's a little more complicated when we applied it to the movie Passing, which is a new one on Netflix right now. Uh, but we had a lot of fun kind of talking about those topics on the podcast. I did that with Claude Acho and Catherine Freeman, who had some great words that were, you know, affirming in some ways, but actually challenging for uh, those of us who are white Christians as mm, well. Good. Oh, that's good. Josh, uh, l- let me ask you this. Um, we're, we're both parents. Aubrey and I both have kids, as Aubrey said, watching these movies with their kids. How do you... Um, advise parents in terms of what movies to watch, what TV shows to watch. Because, you know, a lot of us grew up in a time where, you know, our parents are like, you can't watch anything. Like, you know, it's it's not good. Others, there could be sure. too much license. As someone who's kind of invested their life into movies and, and kind of thinking about them, what do you tell parents uh, of Christian kids? The first thing is that you're going to have to make the decision uh, at the end of the line. There's mm-hmm. no one, there's no website, there's no pastor, um, there's no one who's going to make this easy for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The only reason I say that is because you know your kids best. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a responsibility we can't abdicate. We not only know how um, we want their sport, spiritual formation to be experienced, but we know the things that trouble them that might not trouble, trouble other kids. I talk all the time um, about discernment being very personal, um, meaning we all have our different uh, limitations, our different temptations, things we struggle with that others might not, and this applies to kids as well. So you really have to have a strong relationship with your kids, the things that they're wondering about, the Mm -hmm. pieces of pop culture that might help them think through those things, and the pieces of pop culture that might confuse them, Mm -hmm. especially for kids, um, before they're ready, before they need to be confused by that. Now, I will say that the one site, as a parent, my daughters are older now, but that I would use when they were younger, and it was more of a question of age appropriateness in that, um, is common sense media. Mm -hmm. They have a website that, again, is not the final answer. It's not going to know your kid, but it will at least give you, if you're not able to keep up with everything, sort of a baseline of here's what the content is, here's what other people say they think the appropriate age is, here's what kids say the appropriate age is, and it's just a helpful tool to bring into that conversation that, at the end of the day, you're going to have to have yourself. That's good. Josh Larson, again, editor and film critic at Think Christian. Uh, You can find him at Think Christian, also the Think Christian podcast. And he said also the uh, radio show and podcast film spotting. We love having Josh on here. He's going to stay with us. Uh, Josh, before we go too far, I do want you to give you a chance to talk about the Think Christian Movie Club, because there might be people who are really interested in it. I know it's just gotten off the ground. Tell us about the Think Christian Movie Club and how people can get involved in it. Yeah, this is something new. We've started at Think Christian, and it's been going really well so far. You know, with the pandemic, a lot of people started gathering more virtually, online, through Zoom or other apps. And we thought, uh, you know, that's something we did, dabbled with here and there. But maybe even as we hopefully will be coming out of the pandemic entirely soon, maybe we can bring that along and continue that in some way. Mm -hmm. So the movie club was an idea to let people sign up to join, and then we will have a gathering via Zoom to talk about a specific film, and particularly from a theological vantage point. So Mm -hmm. for our first series, we are actually doing four films from the Coen brothers. So the movie is Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, No Country for Old Men, and True Grit. Joel and Ethan Coen have made just a ton of great movies. They're some of my favorite filmmakers, Mm -hmm. but those four are some of their most popular and have won some of the most awards, and honestly, I think are most theologically rich. So our guiding question as part of the club is, each movie, would we consider it an Old Testament film or a New Testament film? Hmm. And you kind of have to be careful there, because, of course, as Christians, we consider the Bible as one coherent story, informs the old, informs the new, and Mm -hmm. deeply related. But to this idea, you know, still, of what might this film attitude might it have towards things like the law? or justice, Mm -hmm. and where might another movie emphasize things like grace? Mm -hmm. So we've started doing that. We did our first discussion on Fargo, and our next discussion is going to be on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's actually tonight, the day this is airing, on November 19 at 7.30 p.m. Central. So if folks are interested in joining that or want to join for our future ones, we've got two more coming in the new year, 
they can go to thinkchristian.net slash movie club and sign up to be a part of the club. Oh, that's awesome, Josh. Again, that's thinkchristian.net, and you said slash movie club. Um, Okay, Josh, so I want to talk to you about the latest Wes Anderson movie. You wrote an article over at Think Christian called The French Dispatch as Eschatological Coloring Book. Talk to us about that. Well, first, I got to say, Wes Anderson may be my favorite working filmmaker right now. Rushmore, you're a fan, too. I love it. Uh, The Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Isle of Dogs, The Grand Budapest Hotel. This is his 10th film, and it's probably, you know, like we were saying, Eternals, maybe not the place to start with Marvel. I don't know that this is the place to start with Wes Anderson Mm -hmm. because it's an anthology film. Three separate stories within one movie tied together by being presented as stories told in this magazine, this made-up fictional magazine in a mid-century French city. So there are a lot of layers to this movie, um, as they're often out to Wes Anderson, but really more than usual. And it moves very quickly. So it's a lot to take in. But one interesting thing Anderson does is jump around from black and white cinematography to color in Mm -hmm. this movie. And it struck me, you know, especially after seeing it a second time, that there were some real thematic reasons for that. If you watch carefully when he does it, and a lot of it is juxtaposing a moment of uh, a character feeling despondent or Mm -hmm. or miserable to a moment of epiphany Mm -hmm. and enlightenment. And, of course, Christians have a, a context for this. We think about living in the now but not yet. If you kind of look at God's story as the creation, the fall, redemption through Christ, and restoration that is at work now, Mm -hmm. but will be consummated with the new creation. So that's kind of our narrative, right? And you think about living in that time of the already but not yet, and we experience both. We experience sinfulness in the world, and we experience glimmers that point to the new creation. And watching this movie, for me, when it would make those jumps from black and white to color is like having that experience at once. Wow. And I won't go into some of the detailed scenes, not that they're spoilers, but they get a little specific. But if it is a movie you haven't seen yet and you sound intrigued by, just keep that in the back of your mind as you're noticing, whoa, suddenly suddenly we're in color. Why? What's happening to that character? Mm. And what does that sort of emotionally mean for me? And what might it even spiritually mean for Mm. me? Interesting. All right, Josh, Thanksgiving's coming, which means Christmas is around the corner. Uh, Really hard question for you. Favorite Christmas movie, and you got to tell us why, and then why is it Elf? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I cannot argue with that. It's a family classic we return to every year. So so I think you've probably got the right answer there. I mean, I'm a sucker for those old short television Oh, yeah. Um, Christmas specials. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, yeah. uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, yeah. of course. Um, and we've written about uh, some of those and talked about those on the uh, TC podcast, too, about sort of the, the spiritual undertones that can even be found in these, quote-unquote, secular Christmas specials from the past. Uh, something like The Grinch, Who Stole Christmas, even, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all favorites of mine. But I'm going to put one, and this is kind of a tease for a, TC podcast we haven't recorded yet, but we're planning Children of Men. This is an older Alfonso Cuaron movie starring Clive Owen. It's set in the near future, kind of a dystopia. Um, Nothing really specifically to do with Christmas, but does involve a character uh, like an unwed mother, I'll say, uh, a miracle child, I'll say, Mm. and without pushing things too strongly, really brings some Advent themes to the surface for those who are looking for them. Hmm. And it's just a fantastic um, action-slash-adventure sort of dystopian film from, oh boy, I should know this, but I want to say around 2006 is when it originally came out. Very cool. Okay, you probably don't have an answer to this, but (laughs) it's okay if you don't. I'm just going to ask you anyway. Are there Thanksgiving movies out there that we should be watching? That is a great question. Um, is how there about a gap in the cinematic with... universe that needs to be filled? <laughs> I've got one for you. Okay. How about uh, sticking with Wes Anderson, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox? Oh, yes. Have you guys seen that mm-hmm, one? That's a one great... stop motion. Yep. Brian's going, no, I haven't. <laughs> no, okay, okay, I like it. I'm going to add that to my list. Fantastic Mr. Fox. 
you can kind of see how that might fit if you revisit it. That's awesome. Well, Josh, we hope that you have a great Thanksgiving. If we don't talk to you before Christmas, have a wonderful Christmas. We're always uh, grateful for you coming on again. Josh Larson is the editor and film critic at Think Christian. Uh, We'd encourage you to go to thinkchristian.net. You can also follow Josh on LarsonOnFilm.com and on Twitter at LarsonOnFilm. That's at LarsonOnFilm. Josh, it's always fun. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Always a good time. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. All right, Aubrey, there's a uh, there's a pastor, author, speaker, kind of all, mm-hmm. all together. You can kind of claim that, right? Pastor, author, speaker, radio host. I can. Wow. That's officially like almost a diva status. I would remove almost. You'd say diva? <laughs> yes. Brian said it, everyone. Brian Fromm said it. Is that a compliment? Um, yeah, it's a compliment. If you can't see our producer right now, she is vigorously shaking her head. Yes, that it's is a compliment. A compliment. That's okay. Right. Well, then I will, I will, I will bestow upon you diva status. Well, I thank you. I will accept it. I will accept For the it. people. What is the male equivalent of diva? Devo. No. Oh. There's no way that's Our the producer, case. Debbie, will look it All up. right, we'll figure it out yeah. later. The male equivalent of a diva. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, who was I talking about? Scott Sauls. Yes, more importantly. Scott Sauls is a, a wonderful speaker. He yes. is a great pastor yep. at, uh, what is it, Christ Presbyterian Church in, in Nashville. Nashville. Uh, he is the author of many books. He blogs at scottsauls.com. He's a great follow on Twitter. I am keep building him up because I want people to know he is uh, in all of the noise in our Christian world of who should I read? Mm-hmm. Who should I listen to? Uh, for me, Scott Sauls is high. Yeah, a voice list. of wisdom for sure in in all of the noise. Yeah, there is a common thread to a lot of what Scott Sauls writes, and that is um, a almost what some people would consider uh, sharing too much, mm. a vulnerability mm. that for some people is uncomfortable to them when they yeah. hear it from a pastor, right, author, right, right, male diva, whatever else it might be, <laughs> male diva, yes. <laughs> So let me. I, I've just kind of built him up. I've kind of laid that out. Who he is. Mm-hmm. I want you to. Re, I want to read for you what he wrote just the other day at his blog. He wrote okay. this: My most common prayer request these days is that God would give me consistent, uninterrupted sleep because in the middle of almost every night, I lay awake for two to four hours wrestling. Wow! I wrestle with preoccupation, with self doubt, with the dissatisfaction of unmet expectations and unrealized goals and dreams. With pressure that I put on myself or that I fear others will put on me, with the burdens of the day behind me and the day ahead of me, and with the sense that my work is never going to be satisfactory or complete. In other words, I wrestle over the unique calling of leadership, which is both an unspeakable privilege and a Mm. burden that must be carried often alone. Mm. Uh, There's so much more to read here, but let me pause there. He writes this kind of stuff often, and every time I read it, it surprises me. What do you read when I've told you everything? I've, I've given mm-hmm. you the Scott Saul's yeah. resume on some level. What do you do when you then read that? I mean, for me personally, I just I I really value vulnerability, so I appreciate. Um, oh, this is a real guy, but I think that's what's even an interesting reaction because you feel like, oh, a guy who's a pastor and an author mm-hmm. and a speaker and a blah blah. blah he's not going to struggle with some of these things that the rest of the world struggles with. He's sort of not even above it, but like maybe he did. Now he's accomplished victory over it. And so the fact that he's doing all of these things while being a frail, I don't want to say a frail, a normal normal human being is, I mean, it's shocking to me that I'm shocked by it. Does that make sense? Like I shouldn't be shocked by it because leaders are people. I think you're shocked that he shares it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it's, it. It's so it's um, the sharing of it. not what you expect. You and I are both pastors. Mm-hmm. You are also married to a pastor. Uh-huh. Uh We we travel in pastor worlds. Yes, that we know that pastors are like this. Yes, ourselves included. Yes, there is uh, oftentimes uh, a lack of confidence. There mm-hmm. is oftentimes a uh, a fear. There's a lot of this. Yeah. I read this and I, I'm not surprised. Now the insomnia is not something I've ever had to deal with, but. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear a pastor speak like this. I'm a I'm I do get surprised to hear a pastor speak publicly mm, about this. Yeah, because we do as much as we. Oh no, we should. We're just real people, right? How many times do you preach or you speak at larger events where you go, mm-hmm. Hey, even if I'm not feeling this, 
uh, I need to present a kind of a, a picture of right. myself, of my family, right. which may not even be wrong. Right. It might just not be how you're feeling that day. Right. Uh, and so I do wrestle with that as a pastor. I'd love to know how you think of that. Like I said, you speak more often mm-hmm. than I do. You write uh, at what – where do you feel comfortable sharing and where yeah. do you feel the the need to – put it bluntly to have to keep up a little bit of an image, even if that's not how you're feeling then. You know, it's funny because I would have said a decade ago, even two decades ago, I would have told everyone everything. Here's Mm. all my vulnerabilities, all my emotional self. You get all of it, whether or not you want to. And I I began to realize like, that's maybe unhealthy. One, because it, it allows myself no agency or privacy, my family no agency or privacy. Two, not everybody wants all of your stuff all the time. But then I think the the, the opposite spectrum of that, and I think the lie is that leaders have to be overcomers, mm-hmm. victorious. We've Maybe we were there, but we don't struggle anymore because right. of Jesus. That is inauthentic. Yeah. But I still, this is, a, a friend of mine says this, and I sometimes think about it and wrestle with it. I don't know that I've quite landed, but here's what he says. He's a pastor of a pretty well-known church. He says there's a difference between authenticity and transparency. Mm. You should be as a leader authentic with everyone you're around. There are trusted people you can be transparent with. Interesting. Interesting. And, and for whatever reason, Scott Sauls feels very willing to be this uh, authentic and this much show this much transparency to a public audience. And I think he is to be lauded for it. There's something yeah. very respectable about this because it helps you go, okay, He's struggling, he's hurting, and yet he's remaining faithful to Jesus. There's no excuse really then. I'm struggling, I'm hurting. Oh, but I can still remain faithful to Jesus. Yeah, as a highly respected pastor, he even speaks to some of his struggles with God. Listen to this. He says, for me, the presence of God is most, most palpable when the world is quiet. But the presence of God is not always comforting to me. Sometimes being in the presence of God or just thinking about God in the middle of the night is disorienting and disruptive. Mm -hmm. There are a few things like the presence of God that remind me that I'm not yet what I'm meant to be, that I fall short of the mark, that I'm more small than I am significant, that 100 years from now, my name will be forgotten by the weary world in which I now live. I will die and the world will move on. Even my own church, 100 years from now, its members will never have heard of me. And he goes on and on. Like, it feels like Ecclesiastes. I'm preaching through Ecclesiastes right now. Scott Sauls feels like King Solomon wow, here in some level Brian. to just say, you know what? I need to be smacked upside the head sometimes with the meaninglessness of mm. it all and and where I put my hope. Uh, I am thankful. Uh, I am thankful for someone like him who I like I said, you could hear it at, at kind of the intro of this. I have great amount of respect for him. Yeah, absolutely. If you've never read his book, A Gentle Answer. Uh, it's wonderful. And some other uh, others of his books uh, are just uh, wonderful. Let me read how he ends this and then we'll put a bow on it. He says um, this. Uh, he talks about a famous person and then he says only the strong authoritative voice of God can do this. This is kind of uh, satisfying the ache that we all have. Mm-hmm. And he says, and he has on his way to the cross. Jesus released his grip on the father and cried, not my will, but yours. So that the father could forever tighten his grip on us. On the cross, Jesus lost the Father's blessing and received a curse so that we, who have all our lives lived beneath a curse, could receive the Father's blessing. And on the cross, Jesus, who is the firstborn of all creation, gave up his birthright so that he could pass it on to us so that we could find what we have been looking for. I just think mm. it's a beautiful end. Aubrey, beautiful. we'll end it this way. Well, maybe we shouldn't always share everything mm-hmm. from a pulpit or behind a microphone or over the radio that mm-hmm. we're feeling. We need to recognize who we are. Yeah, that's good. Uh, even if it's between just me and, and, and God, yeah. I need to recognize uh, who I am yeah. uh, and the struggles. And uh, for, for Saul's, it's through insomnia. It's laying there at night going, yeah. what is mm. going on? So hopefully that's helpful for good, you. Really good. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And it's Friday. You know what that means? Top five list. Top five list. Today, in honor of Thanksgiving. Which is coming. Coming really fast. Like this is our last Friday show before Thanksgiving. Unbelievable. Yep, yep, yep. Because of that, we are doing our top five Thanksgiving foods. No, this is a hard one. And we're very hungry, just so you know, as we've been working on this together. But before we start, we always like to play our incredible top five theme song. Top five, top five, top five, top five. 
five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right, Brian. So for this one, we have said anything that's on the Thanksgiving table is mm-hmm. up for grabs. So mm-hmm. we haven't there's there's no dividing lines or boundary lines. It can be desserts. It can be main courses. It can be sides. It's all on the quote unquote table. No, well played. It'll thank be you, interesting you, if sir. you have any that are like this is like a niche for your family. I'm wondering about that myself, actually, if I there don't. are some specific things. Okay. All right. Number five, Brian, but you I, go first. And let me preface this with, okay. I'm going to have one dessert, but bef- but all the others, well, no, not the first one I do here. My my three others, it, it presupposes gravy is on them. Oh, okay. So I'm not putting fair, gravy fair. as its own thing. All right. Let's presuppose gravy. I, I appreciate that. I love gravy. The gravy rule. Gravy on everything. Gravy so that's delicious. what goes here. Number okay. five for me, this is one of those that will not have gravy on them. <laughs> okay. Applesauce. Oh, applesauce. I love applesauce, especially especially when we're kind of with my wife's family. It's re- My brother-in-law will make applesauce. Huh. It's not really from the can, although I love the canned applesauce, yeah. but uh, I love applesauce. Okay. So I... I had put one of my um, honorable mentions was like cinnamon apple. Some so it's some version of applesauce, like a baked cinnamon apple-y thing. But okay. I don't. We don't typically have applesauce yeah, at our Thanksgiving meal. That feels maybe <laughs> we might be communists. <laughs> wow. What's your number five. Okay, I should probably say my number five is this. Is there's a whole debate? Is this a dessert? Is this a side? My family actually doesn't like this, but my best friend introduced it to me 20 years ago, and now I make it every Thanksgiving, and that is the pretzel jello salad. So it has pretzels and jello and I don't know what else. This Sounds like a terrible. Common thing for people? Yes, apparently it's a thing for people. I didn't know about it growing up, but it's got that nice mix of salty and sweet, crunchy and soft and it is delicious when made right. So I'll say two things of this. It sounds delicious. Yeah, it's amazing. So I'm not bagging yeah, on it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I went to 10 different people's houses for Thanksgiving, how many do we think would have what you're talking about. So it's a thing. I, again, okay. I, I, it's a thing for some families. Okay. My yeah. number four, and remember, this very much requires gravy. Yes. Mashed potatoes. Oh, Brian. Absolutely mashed potatoes. potatoes. Yeah. I, I vacillated between mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes, but if you made me choose between the two, I'm going to choose the mashed potatoes. Okay, well, both of those are going to show up on my list. Okay. And my number four is mashed potatoes. There you go. Also, we matched them. Yep, yep. You got to have mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. I mean, I could just eat mashed potatoes and I would be really satisfied. Mashed potatoes are amazing. Are, especially if they have the right amount of butter. Yes. We are hungry Oh, man, right we're now. so hungry. We are hungry. Uh, All right. Number three, this is the one I'm, I'm throwing an homage to dessert here. Okay. I'm tossing a dessert. Yep. And if you're good, I'm going to say it, but if you would like to push back and make me be more specific, I will understand. I'm going under the umbrella just of pie. Brian. Brian. Is that your number three? My number three is yes! pie! Yes! I literally just said all the pies. <laughs> yes! I'm oh, we're push starting back to share a that. brain. If you, if I did, if we did push back, what is your? What, if you had uh, to choose a pie, which we've done, I believe before, we on have done show. before. I like chocolate pie a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. any kind of fruit pie. I, I can't. You, I, I like pecan pie. I'm not a big pumpkin pie fan. Ah, it's too. It's too hard. The what would you say? The answer is cherry pie. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't like cherry pie. I also like blah, apple blah, pie. Blah, blah, apple pie like is cherry. good. Yeah. Pumpkin pie. Nope. Yeah, I know. Nope. I feel that way Throw too. It out. All right, let's see if we keep matching. What are we up to, number two? Number two, number two. Yeah, we may match some of these because, well, you already said you got sweet There's potatoes. There's not that many left, much. yeah. Number two, with gravy, is turkey. Oh, turkey. Okay. I, just, I mean, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's turkey. Yeah. I don't eat a ton of turkey through yeah. the rest of the year, yeah. but there is something. When you get yeah. that first bite of turkey on Thanksgiving, good to go. So I actually don't really like turkey. I don't mind it, but for me, turkey is just are like a communist. Huh. <laughs> so I, turkey's not on my list anywhere. It's not even on my uh, runner runner up list. Did your husband know this before you guys got married? Uh, no, we didn't have a whole turkey. I would much rather eat. My mom always makes ham and turkey. I always eat the ham. I rarely eat the turkey. I don't. I. I don't know what you're to about do to with walk this. out. He's I'm about to like, like throw his headphones br- down. My, He's so my mad. My brain is like exploding. Like, what is the holiday for ham? Isn't it Christmas or is it Easter? 
or is it Thanksgiving at the it's, Travis Sampson household, it's Brian? It's not. Okay. I would like you to go home tonight and just say to your husband, like, look and be like, hey, I need to have a serious conversation with you. Okay. And like, just get him geared up. Like, yeah. this is, we're like having a relationship yeah. talk here. Okay. And then I want you to ask him, what do you really feel about the fact that I don't like turkey at Thanksgiving? Okay. All right. I'll report back on this. Please do. On Monday. I'll I'm report, ready to hear I'll this. report back. Because I'm either going to lose respect for Kevin or I'm yeah. going to be uh, justified here. It's okay. not that good, though. It's just there. It's just with gravy. But otherwise, it's just sort of like, yeah, it's turkey. It's we like could, chicken. It's just we can like... do this conversation until... Th- Did you say it's like chicken? <laughs> yeah. Chicken is also good. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. It's not like, okay. you know, you don't like... And wars over it. Okay. okay. Our friendship is hurt, but go All ahead. All right. Number two. Number two. You might call this by one name or another name, but I'm going to call it stuffing. Mm. I love me some stuffing with gravy on it. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, we can. We some people can, call it dressing. Yeah, which I don't agree with that. But we can uh, talk about this for a little bit because my number one <gasps> is stuffing. What? I could eat stuffing. I just love it. Like, it yeah. is like. That's Thanksgiving. Give yeah. Me, oh, sweet so turkey good. and mashed potatoes and stuffing. Like So good. Like, give me some stretchy pants and a nap <laughs> afterwards, and I'm ready to You're go. You're satisfied. I a little am. bit of football. Okay, so your number one is stuffing. My number one is sweet potato casserole. Okay. I make it every year. I love it. It is so delicious. That I could eat only that and mashed potatoes and be happy. So let's be a little depressing here. Okay. Uh, I I affirm your sweet potatoes. When I was a kid, my my mom would always make it with uh, marshmallows on top. Oh, yeah. And my brother and I would basically just try to peel off the marshmallows. As little sweet potatoes as possible. Get the marshmallows. Yes, that's how my kids are. Uh, Let's let's turn this a little bit darker. Uh, You already mentioned turkey, but are there one or two things that most people like at Thanksgiving Mm. that you're like, nope? I'm not a big cranberry sauce person. That is it for me. I will never take the cranberry yeah, sauce. Yeah, I, it, I, t- I mean, I know not everyone makes it from a can, but I feel like I, I taste the aluminum. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just, I just don't necessarily need it. I do not like cranberry Anything sauce. Anything else in that category for no, you? No, for me, I was trying to tee it up there that I could that I could take shots at cranberry sauce. Oh. I mean, I'm not a big green bean guy. Yeah. I'm not, you know, yeah. vegetables. I'm vegetables okay. feel like a waste of the space yeah. on, the, uh, yeah. on the plate. Because that's one thing I do love about Thanksgiving. All right. Last Thanksgiving question okay. for you here. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, so uh, this is a twofold question, actually. Do you are you one of these people who hates when your food mixes on the plate? Like, do you want very? Oh, do you want it? Oh, oh. Are you okay with mixing? And then more importantly, do you eat like do you eat? In totality, one thing before moving on to another. Or are you like a little bit of stuffing? Now I'm going to have a little bit of, of uh, mashed yes. potatoes. Now I'm going to do this. This is a very important question. And I would answer it differently other days of the year. But for Thanksgiving, it can all be one. I think a mm-hmm. mashed potato, a sweet potato, and a stuffing all together is bad. you put it that on like a pretzel jello sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best meal of all time. What about you? Yeah, no, I'm okay mixing yeah. up. I'm also okay. I am not like a, and it always seems weird to me when people are like, "I'm going to eat all the corn now." Yes, and I mean this. Like, I'm like, give me some corn. Oh, now I want now some. Ass. Now I want here. some Ooh, of this. I'm one, doing it with both hands right now. People can see me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm important. like, and then there's the moment you finish and you go, "I can't believe I ate that whole thing." I'm so stuffed right now, but I only get one Thanksgiving a year. <laughs> I should go get more food right now, but I also know dessert is coming. Like that's oh, when it really oh. the rubber meets the road. There. Yeah, I know it's really really hard. And then my favorite part of Thanksgiving is everyone has gone to bed, and I'll sneak downstairs and, and just get ham. just a little bit of ham. <laughs> your turkey, your uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> a ham. Thanksgiving ham. All right. Well, if we missed anything, let us know. Tell us what your favorite things are on at Common Good Talk Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We love to hear from you. Coming up next, how we cultivate gratitude just in time for Thanksgiving. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we're so glad that you're with us on this Friday evening. We love to send you home at the end of every show with something inspiring, encouraging, challenging to think about. And this week, Oprah Winfrey, I don't know if you've heard of her, heard Brian. Of her. Yep. Yes. Yep. Semi, semi well-known. She said her intention of the week, and that is cultivating gratitude, which I thought was a perfect tie-in to Thanksgiving next week. So I want us to talk about, Brian, um, 
why gratitude matters. Mm. And then we're going to hear from Oprah some ideas about how she practices gratitude. So talk to me, Pastor. Mm -hmm. Why gratitude? Yeah, because it's so easy to get lost in the negatives of our world, right? Like uh, things going on kind of globally, but also in our own lives. You can, I, I think... We just get so focused upon the things that are a struggle um, yes. that we forget and lose sight of the things that, that are blessings in our lives. And mm-hmm. even small things, and Oprah talks about that in the video clip, even small things like, you know, that I woke up today yeah. or that, you know, I've got a family who loves me or this. And that, that I don't think gratitude minimizes the hard things. It just reminds us that not everything's terrible. Mm. I'd also say as Christ followers, we are instructed to be get, to be thankful. Yeah, like it is true. not it is a sense of, it is um, um it is a step of obedience. And again, I believe that when we are grateful uh, for who God is and what he has done for us, regardless of our circumstances, it, it's just a good, it sets us in the right spot. Yeah. It reminds me of what, what I've been given and that not everything's crumbling. Like mm-hmm. even when you're going through tragic situations to be able to uh, focus ourselves on on thankfulness for who God is, what God has done mm-hmm. for us, I think it helps. And so I think uh, gratitude at Thanksgiving, but more so all the time is is an important, I, I guess I call it a spiritual discipline. Absolutely, it's a spiritual discipline. It, I, I think about that, you know, that old, um, method of prayer acts yes. like adoration, yes. confession, thanksgiving, yes. supplication. What I like about that is they do sort of split up like the A is adoration. You're adoring God for who he is specifically. So this is a moment where you're praising God for his character and then C is confession, but then T is thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different. One is worshiping God for who he is. The next is you're worshiping God for the blessings he has brought into your life. And then S, of course, is supplication, asking for your needs. But I I appreciate both, right? I think the posture matters that we're remembering who God is and just praising him, uh, showing him how thankful we are for his goodness and his love and his power and all of those things about him. Mm-hmm. And then also thanking him for the things he has done. I think I, I am not in a good habit of this right now. No. And I'm just e- even thinking my kids aren't either. And I would love for us to begin to develop this as we move towards Thanksgiving, hopefully beyond, but just right. like to shift your perspective and to have a posture of worship, I think is really, really, really important. Yeah. And to be thankful for your kid, like to express gratitude to your mm, kids. And I'm thankful yeah. for you, to your spouse, yeah. to whatever. Nobody uh, here, if people, if someone came up to you, Aubrey, and, and said thank you for writing your book mm-hmm. or for your radio show mm-hmm. or for just being a good pastor or whatever, at no part are you ever going to be like, oh, that's enough already. Like, <laughs> Never. I don't want... No, we're all so hungry for that. I think expressing gratitude to people yeah, uh, grows gratitude in them. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's pretty good. That preaches, right? Like, yeah, it does. It, it it's kind of just keeps growing itself. And so I think there's also uh, power in that, in expressing gratitude to other people. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a listen. This is Oprah's uh, talking about how she cultivates gratitude in her own life. So how do you make gratitude a habit? For me, the first thing I do in the morning is I read some sort of spiritual enlightenment that allows me to start the day with a positive frame of mind that will only help usher in even more positive energy. And for me, that is the Daily Word, which is Christian-based, or the Book of Psalms, also Christian. Mark Nepo's Book of Awakening is just spiritual, no religion, with a daily meditation. And Rumi or Mary Oliver, there's something called Bowl of Saki that I love too. It's a spiritual Sufi teachings that you can download for free into your inbox. But the greatest thing that I've ever done is having a gratitude journal. So I started one over 20 years ago. And every day for years now, I write down five things that I am grateful for. I believe you got to write them down because there is power, power, power in the written word. And it can be anything, big or small. Some days those things will come easy. You know, a chat with a close friend or taking a walk in the crisp fall air, having a loved one cook you a dinner or bring you a cup of tea. Some days it might be difficult to even think of anything, and that's completely normal. And when things don't easily come to mind, go back to your breath, because if you breathe in, you ought to be grateful. Know that you have that. And simply opening your eyes in the morning and having that breath is a gift. Okay, so I like that she has some practical things. Now, they might, you know, you might not do some of the things she does, but I appreciate that she has a very intentional sort of rhythm of her day. 
waking up reading some of the Psalms, having a, a gratitude journal, mm-hmm. then going for a walk, doing some things to help cultivate gratitude as part of her life. Brian, are there some takeaways for us that we can start doing daily to strengthen this as a spiritual discipline? I think that slowing down and disconnecting is an important one mm. to actually think about the things that we're that we are thankful for in our lives. Right. Like instead of waking up and just going um, again, not speaking from a place of strength here. Let me own that at the beginning. But taking time to consider to slow down and go, what am I thankful for? And then as Christians, I don't think we can ever separate the time that we spend in the word and in prayer with our gratitude, right? Like as I'm understanding the gospel, as mm. I'm understanding the, the the story of scripture, yeah. it's going to grow thankfulness in me regardless of what's going on. As I spend time, she talks about meditation. Well, as I'm spending intentional times meditating upon the word yeah. and praying, yeah. it's going, and I'm praying for thankfulness. It's right. going to grow in me. And so those are a couple different ones. I think it's hard. The more that we just run and run and run problem to problem, urgent to urgent, mm-hmm. we just lose the ability to do this. And so that's where I think that becomes difficult, but important. What about as we close this up? What about you? What are some practices for you? I, you know, I think for me, and again, I'm, I'm just saying I'm out of the habit of this right now, but I did start the year with a journal and I, you know, not like writing hours and hours of text, but just like bullet point, here's something I'm thankful for. Mm. Bullet point, Here's something I'm thankful for. And I think just getting in that habit again, whether it's, I don't know, a little notebook that's by my kitchen counter. And as I'm thinking about things, I write them down or that intentional time where you're really um, thinking back on your day and noting things you're thankful for. I think that is a really small habit, but probably one that's more powerful than we realize again, because it'll shift our perspective. It'll show the people around us how grateful we are, especially if we tell them. But then also it leads us back to a place of worship. Lord, look at how good you mm-hmm. are instead of us always focusing on ourselves and our own issues. So I think this is something really important for us all to consider, especially as we head towards Thanksgiving mm-hmm. next week. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Brian and I will be back on Monday right here from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.